Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 23. And the last time we looked at really an introduction to King Josiah of Judah. Josiah and then there's four other kings after him and then Judah is done. They're taken over by the Babylonians. But Josiah had such a passion for the things of God. He had such a passion for God. Uh, And it's just really, really exciting. And, you know, you see people today like that. They just love the Lord Um, They just love the things of the Lord. They just want to serve the Lord. So we're going to look at this. We're going to look at... uh, Now, tonight, we're not going through the whole chapter. It's a long chapter. It's going to be the first of a two-part series. A lot of good stuff in here. Don't want to rush through it. Um, So we're going to... Tonight, we're going to be looking at his reforms. uh, Just short of the great Passover that's celebrated, we're going to pick up that uh, the next time we come together on a Wednesday night when I'm teaching. And Second Chronicles 34 through 36 are a parallel scripture to this. Uh, they give us some fill-in. And we're going to look at this in three sections tonight. So jumping in, Second Kings, or Second Kings 23, it says, Then the king, Josiah, sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant or an agreement before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took their stand for the covenant. So the first section out of three is the institution of the covenant. And we left off with Josiah. You know, he's got a heart for the Lord, even at a young age. It's quite actually amazing. In his teen years, his late teen years, he dedicates his life to the Lord. And a lot of these reforms happen while he's a young adult. And that's remarkable. Because when we start out in life, I remember being a young adult. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, but, you know, you're intimidated. You know, you're finding your way. Who am I? Uh, you don't want to make maybe too many waves off the bat. You know, you just you want to find out who you are. So he uh, is leading a nation as a, as a very young man. Remember, because his father was assassinated. His father was an evil man. So he orders the repair of the temple. He looks over at God's house and it's in shambles. Uh, he orders the repair of the temple. They find the law. Probably was hidden from some of the evil kings. He starts to read it. He tears his clothes. He repents because he looks at his culture and he looks at the word and he sees that they're incongruous. You know, they're not lining up and it's a it's a real problem. So Josiah repents for himself. Now he makes a public reading of the word and a proclamation. And this is what revival looks like. Bible literacy. You know, a lot of revivals happen because the people are understanding the word. They're reading the word on their own. The Holy Spirit is guiding them. Churches are reading the Word. And that's what we should do in churches, to use the Scripture. Bible literacy is very important, especially in our day. 
So King Josiah, he doesn't look at it and say, hey, you know, I got a lot of things to do. I am the king. Let somebody else do it. He takes this front and center. He puts this high on his priority list. He was a great king. He was an active king. He did a lot for the land. But he took this front and center. He led by example. And there's some things when I go through the Scripture, I use yellow highlighter in my Bible because they're just personal to me. They stand out. In verse 2, all the people come together, both small and great. Josiah doesn't say, well, only the elites can come. Well, only the educated ones. Well, only the nobles. Everybody comes together, standing room only probably, and, and they do this rededication ceremony, this Pretty neat. Verse 3, it says he made a covenant or an agreement with God to keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes with what? I also highlighted it with all his heart and all his soul. See, Josiah wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't clergy. He was the king. He was, I guess you could say if you're the king of the Israelites, it's a quasi-spiritual position, but nothing near the other offices. So here's this guy, he's a king, and he has a passion for God. You know, I, I was just excited to teach this. You know, I, I read ahead and I'm like, all right, I'm going to be teaching this the next time. And I'm just, I just see his love and his passion for the living God. And we have to ask ourselves, do we have that passion? You know, do we have that burning inside of us? I can't tell you how many Christians, and I don't condemn them, that they've been a Christian, they were all excited in the beginning, and then after five or years or ten years, they, they come and they say, I, I'm losing my fire. And that's a sad thing. But, you know, it can always be rekindled. So he has this passion for God. And you know, I, I even look at maybe the Christian culture. And, and that just means, in the Christian culture, there's a lot of people that say they're Christians. And, you know, God knows the heart. Not, not all of them are. But it's a cultural thing in the United States. Hey, we're not being persecuted for it. So, you know, it's a big tent. I guarantee the moment if it happened in this country that Christianity was illegal, the Christian culture would shrink to probably just the church. And there is a difference between the two. But in the Christian culture, there's, it's, it's entertainment and event-driven. It's mediocre. It's, it's all about going out and seeing something big and then going home. It's not about partaking. It's not about getting involved. It's just almost like a Hollywood or I'm going to the movie to see a movie or the pastor will entertain me today. And that's, that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to have a fire for Him in our heart and not to lose that. 2 Chronicles 34, this is interesting because in 2 Kings it says some things and I went through all the other parallel Scriptures and I pulled some things out of it. Uh, it says that Josiah made everyone present take their stand for the covenant. In 2 Kings it says they did take their stand. But 2 Chronicles goes a little bit deeper and says he made them take their stand for the covenant. A very bold move, and not everybody was happy with it. And I'll tell you why, because as soon as Josiah died, the people went back to their old ways. Even Jeremiah decried the culture, you know, because the successive kings were wicked again. So everybody's, oh, this is great, Josiah's gone. Let's. So you wonder how many people recommitted themselves because they wanted to, and how many did it because it was window dressing or it was popular. right? Renewing the covenant, renewing the agreement. And I'm going to tell you that this has happened historically by godly men and godly women. You know, Every so often, I don't want to do it as a routine because I don't want it to be staged, but every so often I'm, I'm, I feel moved to just ask anybody on a Sunday, whatever, to stand and rededicate their lives. And it's the same thing. 
You know, just a desire to stand up and say, you know what, I don't care if people see me standing up. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I want to rededicate my life to you, Lord. Good stuff. Excellent. <laughs> if anybody says to me afterwards, oh, that was a great message, it was the material. It's definitely not. It's good, good material here. We continue, verse 4. It says that the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out the temple of, bring out of the temple of the Lord, right, the temple, all the articles that were made for Baal, the false god, for Asherah, same thing, for the host of heaven, the sort of like astrology worship. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolatrous, idolatrous priests from the kings of Judah, uh, whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image, or the Asherah. Um, it's, it was a perverted type of image. And we'll go into that. From the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron. Outside Jerusalem, he burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places at the gates which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. He defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man may make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech, another false god. He removed the horses that the king of Judah had dedicated to the sun, uh, the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh, had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook Kidron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, King Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooded images and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made both the altar and the high place he broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. So two out of three tonight is King Josiah's reforms and boy, were they some serious reforms. When we look at this verse 4, I'll go through it you know, verse by verse, but he removes and burns items associated with pagan worship, get this, from the house of the Lord. God was very patient. He, he built this, had the, the people built this beautiful structure, the temple, and over time there was a slow process of just the decadency, and little by little they put an idol in the courts, and then they put a bigger idol, and then they started putting things inside the temple. Some of them were pornographic. Uh, either way, they were, they were demonic type of objects, and they didn't belong there. So Josiah was like, listen, I, I did some demolition 
Uh, I still do a little bit at times when I'm forced to, but when I was younger, just busting up stones and concrete and, you know, cutting down structures. Let me tell you something, that's backbreaking work. There's a lot of work that they did. You know what I'm saying? It's like the king probably had a million other things to do, and he devoted this period of time to just destroying these demonic altars and these objects that were causing the people to sin and, and get them into more deep water, hot water with God in judgment. Uh, so, and uh, you know what? You can look at a church today, a house of God, right? There's things that don't belong in the church. They don't belong. There's certain idols that don't belong in the church. No idols belong in the church. Certain doctrines, certain reading materials. I want to read, um, jump, jumping forward to 1 Timothy 4. You know, a lot of warnings in the New Testament about how worship would change. Yes, Josiah cleaned a lot of things up. Then they went back. Then they were deported to Babylon. Then under Cyrus, there was a, you know, another rededication. And then they went back. And then the prophets had to chastise them. Then Jesus came. And there was excitement. And then Jesus and the Apostle Paul and Peter and John said, these disgusting things are going to creep back into the organization of the church. 1 Timothy 4, it says, Now the Spirit, right? This is not an opinion. The Holy Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. But it's going to be packaged as Christian. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hard, hot iron. And again, all these prohibitions in the church forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You know, and there's people who they have itching ears to heap up themselves teachers. And it happened here as well. Right? It's been almost, well, it's definitely been 2,000 years. Uh, since Christ. But a lot of things like the temple have crept back into the organization of the church. Some churches are completely apostate. There's no semblance of God, the Word of God, proper doctrine. There's nothing in there. The Kidron Valley, and, and so you, you look at the, the mount, right, that, that Jerusalem was on, Mount Zion, and because it was a high elevation, there were, there were ravines, there were valleys. So in some of these valleys, uh, he speaks about the Kidron Valley. It contained a garbage dump, but also a cemetery. Uh, continue on. Verse 5, the, he removed the idolatrous priests that the former king used and employed to worship God in their own image. You can always find a religious hack somewhere if you look hard enough. If you pay a man enough money and he has a title, he'll do anything. And it's sad. He'll, he'll compromise the Word of God as long as there's enough green in his hand. So the good priests, he's not speaking about, but some of the priests went bad. You know, it's, and they became hacks for the, for the kings. Um, and we see hacks today. You go on TV and you, know, you might see um, a certain news outlet and the guy's wearing a collar or some type of vestment. And he's saying things and he's purposely going against God's word because he's being paid to do that to deceive the people. I just read this to you in Timothy. A lot of deception that we live in today. Uh, verse 6, uh, more demonic images. They were burned, and he threw ashes on some of the graves. Now, you know, it's little, I guess, yeah, thousands of years later, uh, when you look at 
our culture, yes, to, to desecrate a grave or to dig it up or whatever is, is an abomination. It's illegal. It's offensive. Um, and it's here. It was purposely done to defile the idolatry. And I can only assume that when they burn some of these altars and items and images and they ground them up and when, the, when, the, you know, when it cooled down, they would sprinkle the ashes on the graves of the people that used to worship them. So it, it was a symbolic gesture. Not that it really did anything to the gravesite. Uh, but it was a defilement. He was, he was sending a message, so to speak. You know, verse 7, He tore down the ritual booths for the perverted persons in the temple area. Uh, and again, I mean, God has a prescription for a man and a woman and sexual activity. It's right there in the Scripture. Uh, but you look at a lot of things today and perversions are agreed with today. Some clergy will agree with perversions. And God says it's perverted. Uh, and they, they would have these ritual booths and they set them up either, some of them were in the structure of the temple, some of them were in the courts, and they set them up like tents. And they had uh, prostitution and, and different types of perversions in there. Uh, and God and, and Josiah was like, I've I got to get rid of this stuff. This is really bad. You know, and I, I think about the recent church scandal with the priests. And uh, before it was Boston, it was Pennsylvania. Before it was Pennsylvania, it was New York. Honestly, when I was a little boy in that faith, we all knew what was going on. We knew of the perversions. And they've been going on for decades, if not centuries. And they're perverted persons. They do... The people who are accused of these heinous crimes against children, a lot of it happens within the structure of the church, within the building, when everybody leaves. And they, if you read some of these descriptions, they groom the children, they cull them, they desensitize them to these disgusting acts. Um, and I'm trying to be general for a reason, but for the adults, you understand what I'm saying. There's still perverted people today in the church that do horrible things, and, and these these. These church scandals, I mean, they just keep coming. It doesn't matter what denomination they are. Um, and you, you wonder, when is the leadership going to do something to protect these kids? You know, I, this, this pope is so political, uh, and he says things that are so unscriptural, and he likes to point fingers at others, but his own house is not in order. Don't cry after it's, it's happening. Don't weep and say we failed the, the innocent ones. This has been going on for a long time. I'm, I'm tired of that guy. Um, it's just wrong. Do something to change it. Verses 8 through 9. He removed the priests that burned incense on the high places, but he did allow them to do something else. Now, I tell you what, when I read through these chapters of the Old Testament, I rack my brain out. I'm in prayer, I'm reading it, I'm going into the original translations because it can be a little confusing. So some priests were good and some priests were bad. Yes, (laughs) yes. Some priests had sold their soul to the devil and they uh, helped with the erecting of these uh, false god altars, and they actually officiated at them. They left God and went to the demon world, right? But some of the priests actually, uh, what they did was they allowed some of these altars where they are okay, different priests, where the people were actually worshiping God, not a false idol, but they would have them spread out in different places among Israel to make it convenient. Now, these priests, he didn't harm them, but he didn't allow them to serve, but he did allow them to break bread with others. So, and the reason being is because they were worshiping God, but God had forbidden 
any altar except in Jerusalem. So they were disobedient and they were disciplined, but he didn't do anything to harm them. Um, And you know, the people say, and people say today, why Jerusalem? Come on, God, it's a long... Listen, I live all the way up in the north country. I want an altar up here by Zebulun and Issachar. I don't want to go up all the way to Jerusalem. People do that today. Only Jesus? Come on. And you hear this sometimes again. Remember, these are God's people. Some of them are apostates. Some of them backslid. Some of them stayed faithful. But you can look at that today. And, and even among so-called Christians... Uh, you know, Jesus only. Maybe, maybe that's getting old. Maybe we need to revamp and attract more people into the church. And, and this is what happens over time. It's a slow declension. It's a slow process. Uh, but only Jerusalem was a type of only Jesus. Understand that. Right? The temple was a place where the, the atonement was made for your sins. Today, Jesus is the only place where atonement is made for our sins. Period. Right? God, God, if God says it, we, we follow it. You can also look at this as, uh, again, it's convenient. Right? Come on, priests. Come on, prophets. I, 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 gotta, you know, I, got, I got ten kids. I can't make it to Jerusalem. I need something that's more convenient. People do that today too, right? With God. You know, some people come to church for Christmas and Easter. Yeah, it's convenient. Listen, I'm busy during the year. Some people, you know, worship God after their summer is over and all the things they want to do are done. And, okay, I'm ready to worship God again. That's not really good practice to have. It's just, it causes problems, you know. It really causes a lot of problems. So, convenience. You know, sometimes God allows us and asks us to do things that are inconvenient. They're inconvenient for me. But it's His Word, okay? Uh, Verse 10, Tophet. He destroyed Tophet. Tophet was a place... (laughs) <laughs> where they had a sick practice of sacrificing children to the demon god Molech. So I can see him with sledgehammers busting up this thing, grinding it with stones, burning down anything that's wood because it was uh, a sick practice. Some of the, some of the gods that the Israelites uh, adopted from their pagan neighbors were se- sexually perverse. Some were you actually had to sacrifice your children. You wonder, how could anybody do this? You know, it's it's really horrible. And he, he kind of throws it into the uh, Valley of Hinnom, which is another valley, another ravine on the outskirts of Jerusalem where the city's garbage was burned. Um, you know, it's, it's not like modern-day uh, sanitation and stuff. Everything was thrown into the valley, and the fires were just kept going because, you know, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem just would throw their stuff down there. But Tophet and this false idol was there, and they used the fire to heat up this god and use your imagination to harm their, their children. Um, so again, when, when people sometimes read the Bible, they're shocked. Well, God let him do all that? Well, when you understand the sick practices that the people were into, yeah, God let him do all those things because they were an abomination. And I'm going to tell you, when you start harming kids, your soul is, is almost past the point. Uh, it's demonic. That's all I'm saying. I don't care if you physically harm a child or or molest or whatever the case may be. I don't care what cloak you wear or what title you have. You've given yourself up to demons because they are the most vulnerable in society. Um, And and judgment is good. (laughs) Verse 11, 
Uh, they had a weird practice of, uh, they had horses with chariots that were dedicated to the sun, right? They worshipped the sun, the Egyptians worshipped the sun. Again, they adopted a lot of these practices from their neighbors. They destroyed these chariots, probably let the horses run free or use them for riding, I don't know, trail horses, but no more chariots. Uh, verse 12, the altars to the false gods on the roof. You know, I'm not trying to be funny here, but as I'm, I'm reading the scripture, I'm imagining it. It's in the temple, it's outside of the temple, it's in the precincts, there's, make, there's pop-up tents, something's up on a roof of one of the buildings. I'm thinking, God's, God's, sadly enough, the area where God was supposed to be worshipped probably looked like a flea market. And I've gone to a lot of flea markets and there's just pop-up tents and people selling stuff. And you know, when Jesus had to cleanse the temple, you had all these money changers. Hey, you know, I'll, you know, give me your Roman coin, I'll get you this, but I'm going to charge you usury. Here's a, here's a really good pigeon, the priest won't, you know like a flea market. Uh, and Josiah was, was, was disgusted by all this, right? There was altars and perversions everywhere. I have to tell you that when I was seeking, when, when my wife and I were seeking, we went into a lot of churches, and I can see how somebody can look at, go to a church that's really weird. And, and I, listen, there's different styles of worship. I'm good with that. Different styles of preaching. But, you know, we, we went into this one church where it was... We just wanted to get out. It was just so weird. And I, like, I, I wasn't a pastor or anything. I, I was seeking. Um, and we're like, well, how is any of this related to God? People were talking over each other. People were shouting. People were running up and down with flags and taking their shoes off. And, and I'm like, it was like a circus. I'm like, I don't know which, which, which ring to follow. You know what I'm saying? But, I, you know, God had his hand on us, and we didn't give up. And eventually we found a church where they taught the Bible. But boy, the parallels here are amazing. Amazing. Love it. Uh, verse 13, really sad. <laughs> Josiah, King Josiah, has to destroy the altars to the false gods that Solomon the king built to appease his foreign wives. Now this ties directly to Pastor Paul's study in Ecclesiastes. I actually love Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's almost like a morbid fascination. you know. And Solomon's like... This dude needs help, you know what I'm saying? Get him help, the crisis line. But why was Solomon so kind of whacked out in Ecclesiastes? Because he did weird stuff. He was so double-minded, right? So Ecclesiastes, it, part of the reason, and he's, he's regretting a lot of his, his life, is because of his compromise. He had God. He was blessed by God. And he started slowly following all these weird practices. So Josiah here has to clean up Solomon's mess. And you see a lot of the kings named Manasseh, Solomon, uh, Jeroboam. You know, just a mess that they made that he had to clean up. 14, uh, he defiles the pagan places with the bones of dead men so nobody could use them again. The pagans were superstitious. So what Josiah did was he took the bones of probably the apostate people and he dug them up, he defiled their graves, and he took Now Remember, he was the king. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a priest. I mean, he had to do some hard things. And he took those bones and he put them where they destroyed the altar so nobody would set up an altar because the, the pagans were superstition, superstitious. Remember, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, right, if I'm eating meat and it was dedicated to an idol, pff, what's the idol? It's nothing. I'm going to eat this meat. I know who God is. But if somebody comes in and they're stumbled, I see me eating meat, I'm not going to eat any meat anymore. He's like, man, this... this this pulled pork is awesome. This is the bomb. Oh, you're eating meat, pulled pork? It, it was the, 
Sorry, I'll put it away. It's okay. But the pagans were, were very superstitious. Okay, that's my little, it's my little theater for you this, this evening. Uh, so what did Josiah do? He, he was a warrior. He played on their fears. It was sort of a, a, a form of psychological warfare. Um, he wasn't worried about the bones because his, his God is a big God. But the, the pagans were. Okay, well, don't set up an altar there anymore. Verse 15, Josiah goes to Bethel. Now he leaves, and we see this a few times in Josiah, right? Uh, he leaves uh, his area, and he goes to the northern kingdom, which is now controlled by Assyria. He doesn't care, though. He's on a, he's on a mission. He, he loves his countrymen. He loves his fellow Israelites, and he's going to go up there, right? So he goes to Bethel, and he destroys the altar King Jeroboam made, uh, who was the first king of the, the divided kingdom. He was the first king of Israel when after Solomon, the kingdom split. Right? See, Jos- uh, Josiah goes into Ephraim, and he's rooting out this idolatry. But, you know, Josiah is making some bold moves here. Yeah, he's a young man. He's a young man. I see a few young men in their 20s as I look around. Your age, bro, right? Your age back there. He, but he's bold. Because you know what? His God is a big God. He went out there, and he knew God had his back. Awesome stuff. And we've got to ask the question for ourselves. How big is our God? I mean, do we, we deal with him like, oh, maybe if you could or possibly or if you're able to do it. Our God is a big God, too. We serve the same God. How sad is it that the king's prophets, people, priests, had become so corrupted? All right. Listen, look at Washington, D.C. I've done a lot of studies on it. It was a place where it was the foundation of the country. Uh, there was so much good that happened in the Virginia area and D.C. when the, the nation was formed and how God was going to be in the center of it. Now it's horrible. There's male and female prostitution. There's vice like you wouldn't believe. These wealthy political people, all the political class, Republicans, Democrats, they're the same people in Washington, D.C. There's alcohol, there's cocaine, there's the poor people are on PCP. I've done a lot of studies on D.C. It's a, it is a hellhole. And Satan has his, his uh, best demons in D.C., right? A lot of stuff happens. He gets the rich people hooked, and he gets the poor people hooked, but in different ways. How did that happen? It didn't happen overnight, but Satan is very patient. His demons are very patient. Little by little by little. And there's a personal application there for our own lives. You know? and, and we can see sometimes uh, when we're going in the wrong direction, if we're really spiritually aware, you know what, Lord, that, that wasn't from you. I'm sorry. I'm, let me get back to where, where you are. Um, so we can see this declension. Uh, the question is, are, are we, where are we? Are we afraid to speak out against the anti-God culture? Or worse, are we becoming a part of it? Where's the Christian culture um, going? I've read some articles in Christianity Today that are frightening. That there's actually one, Christianity Today, I have the, the article, mocking God and you know, saying, well, God has these, these standards. And the actual title was God, Divine Drama Queen. That's in Christianity Today. I will not subscribe to that periodical. A lot of weird stuff. Some of you are sh- looking at me like, are you sure? Trust me, I got the article. Some sick stuff out there with the label of Christian. A lot of it's not Christian. I do feel for the young adults because, I mean, I was brought up in the 60s and 70s, so you know, I, we, we went through these <laughs> phases, right? Uh, but a lot of the young people who are 20s, uh, late 20s, even some in the early 30s, they they're, they're grew up in a culture 
that's so decadent that unless they get into the Bible, they're really not sure what's right or wrong because of all the brainwashing on, on TV. Last few verses for tonight, 16 through 20. It says that as Josiah turned, so he's in Bethel. He sees the tombs that were there on the mountain and he sent and took the bones of the tombs and burned them on the altar. Probably took the ashes and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Well, we'll get to that. Then he said, what gravestone is this that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. Hey, Josiah, you don't realize it, but you just fulfilled prophecy. This was written some 300 years ago, and you just did it while we were standing here. And we have writings, and we have uh, the, the guy who actually came and prophesied that you were going to do this 300 years ago. That's his, his, grave, his grave. So Josiah said, let him alone. <laughs> let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone and with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Then Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, right? He's coming to the border, across the border, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. So three is a prophetic aside. And this is where we're going to kind of be done for this evening. A lot of good stuff in the conclusion of this. But if you would turn with me to 1 Kings 13, let me tell you what happened if you've been following in 1 Kings all the way to 2 Kings, right? Verse 1, it says, now here's the guy who's, who's buried in this graveside. Now he's alive. It says, in, again, going back, and behold, a man of God, he's a prophet, he went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam, evil king, stood by the altar to burn incense. So Jeroboam, Manasseh, they, they just erected these horrific, uh, demonic, pagan altars, and they would burn incense, and they would copy what the good priests were doing in Jerusalem at the real temple. Then he, the man of God, cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold a child, but Josiah by name, he's not even born yet, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign that same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and ashes on it shall be poured out. So, it's coming true. Um, verse 20 Josiah executes the evil priests. They were evil. <laughs> they were evil. They were into perverse behavior. They, uh, you know, it's one thing for a bunch of sheep to go off a cliff, but God holds, holds a leader more accountable with his authority and his oratory skills if he leads sheep off a cliff. If I did that to you and I started saying, well, we don't need the Bible. And I started just changing things and getting you guys to, a lot of you would just leave the church because you've been trained too well. You know the word. You'd be like, we're out of here. Uh, but if you, you know, and this is what happens in a lot of these congregations. Uh, let's, let's say things that the people want to hear. Let's, you know, lull them to a spiritual sleep. 
And God will hold the leaders accountable. And again, when it comes to the children, right? Jesus said, if, if you harm one of these little ones, it's better for you that a millstone be hung around your neck and cast into sea than for what you're going to get. So let's keep that in mind. What's remarkable about Josiah as we close is that he dedicated, I'll say it again, he dedicated his, dedicated his life to the Lord as a late teen. And he carried out, or at least he started to carry out many of, the, many of these reforms as a young adult in his 20s. He had energy and he had passion for the Lord. You could almost see him had a dirty job. His job was to take out the spiritual garbage uh, accumulated by his fellow Israelites. And I'm going to tell you something. There's unfortunately spiritual garbage today. And folks, you will be put into situations, especially you know, that you, if you're excited for the Word, you want the Word, God will scatter you and me into different places to try to be a purifying effect to the world. Could be family members, could be friends. Talked with a brother in the back, and he talked to me about going to a lot of family functions. And, you know, it's, it's tough. People are very hard-hearted in 2018 in this area. Um, you know, again, a lot of Christians, it's more comfortable for them to go to a, a Hollywood production type of church because they can just sit back, take no personal responsibility, not concerned about their growth, not concerned about sharing the gospel, don't even know the gospel. But they come to church and listen, I'm, I'm busy. Hey, that was great. Pastor said something funny. Oh, there was a really neat light show. Oh, they had a skit. Go home and what are they doing? You know, we all have responsibility. That's why at this church we try to train you to, to build you up in the Word so that you, I'm only one person, the pastors, the elders, their wives, etc. Um, but if God can take a whole church and just scatter them in different areas and have them as a purifying effect, who knows, before the Lord returns, you might see some amazing things. You might see another revival. Starts with, you know, one person, the Holy Spirit. Um, so as we, as we close, Josiah had a great passion for God. And if the Lord delays his coming, we're also going to need those with a great passion for God. If God tarries 20, 30 years, his timetable, those of us that are in leadership, we're going to get old. We're going to slow down, you know what I'm saying? We already got some aches and pains. And we're going to look, be looking for God, quite a few young adults here. You know, we're doing things in this church to make it sustainable. The solar panels and, you know, we're getting things done so that we're going to, one day we're going to pass the church and the torch to you young people. And, you know, get, you get ready. Because we're, we're setting it up so that you're sustained. We're planning for the future if the Lord takes his time. Uh, and you know what? Things are only going to get more difficult according to the Scripture. So yes, we need adu- young adults to consider ministry, to consider serving, to see where God can use their spiritual gifts. But I'm going to tell you something. Uh, we also need people of all ages to be like Josiah. You know, I, I come here on any given day during the week, and these, I, can't, I can't get rid of these people. I mean, they're so awesome. They just come, a bunch of you are here. They just come to the church. What can we do? How can we help? You know, hey, can we, can we pay you? Can we at least feed you? You know what I'm saying? Uh, they, they just love to be a part of. Their hands are part of what's going on here. And then when something like this happens or a Sunday morning, you, all you guys that have been helping out and ladies, you know, you're, you're part of this. Right? This isn't just like right in the beginning. It says small and great. In this church, there's not an elite few. We're, we're just like you. Uh, and we all have to pull together. If not, the church as an organization dies. 
right? So I submit to you, this world needs more Josiahs of any age. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.